Hello and welcome to Solutions. This is our eighth podcast for solution-focused hypnotherapists. I'm Cathy Eland. And I'm Trevor Edwards and we're both experienced solution-focused hypnotherapists. Today we're talking about rapport and rapport building. What is it exactly? Why is it important? And how can you use it to help our clients? Rapport is defined as a relationship of mutual understanding or trust and agreement between people. Rapport building is achieving mutual trust and understanding between two or more people. It leads to develop listening, meaningful conversations and fulfilling relationships where everyone involved benefits. Wikipedia tells us that there are a number of techniques that are supposed to be beneficial in building rapport, such as matching your body language, e.g. posture, gestures, etc., indicating attentiveness through maintaining eye contact and matching tempo, terminology and breathing rhythm. In conversation, some verbal behaviours associated with increased rapport are the use of positivity, that's positive face management, uh, sharing personal information on gradually increased intimacy, that's self-disclosure, and by referring to shared interests or experiences. But is rapport that important? Isn't it just a nice-to-have part of therapy? Well, the answer is definitely no. Would you believe that rapport that you have with a client is more important than the treatment you actually give them? Let me explain. S.A.N. Lambert, back in 1999, looked at the common factors that are found in psychotherapy and counselling. They found four overarching factors, which are techniques and model factors, expectancy and placebo effects, client variables and extra therapeutic events, and the therapeutic relationship, i.e. rapport. S.A. and Lambert went on to give a numerical value to each factor. They suggested that 40% of the change made by a client was due to the support network they had outside of therapy and the client's attitude to therapy. That's the client's variables and extra therapeutic events. The next big category was the relationship between the therapist and the client. That accounted for 30% of the improvement in a client. I'll just say that again. 30% of the change made by a client was down to rapport. And that's why we're talking about it today. And going back to the figures, there was a 15% improvement due to the placebo effect and the client's own expectations of success. And lastly, and I did say lastly, was the therapy technique used by the therapist, e.g. solution-focused hypnotherapy, or any therapy, even at the woo-woo end of the scale. Yeah, this shows the importance of building a relationship with the client and developing that therapeutic alliance or rapport. Summers and Barber in 2003 wrote in their article, Therapeutic Alliance as a Measurable Skill, that out of the babel of psychotherapy models, concepts and techniques, the therapeutic alliance stands out as a measurable phenomena that has been shown to have a robust effect on treatment outcomes. So, Cathy, suppose we just met at a party or conference or in your consulting room. How might you start to build rapport with me? Oh, 
Well, I suppose I might say the usual things. Uh, ask how you are. Um, have you come far? Uh, was the traffic okay? Did you get parked all right? Uh, uh, isn't it hot uh, for this time of year? Um, anything really where we could find links between us or our expectations. And tell me about your face and body language. Well, I should hope I have a big grin on my face and my body language would be open, I suppose. That makes sense. Yeah, that sounds about right. So not as inconsequential as some people might think. No. So picking up on the importance of body language to rapport, it's worth remembering the work of Albert Morabian on verbal and nonverbal communication. He suggested 7% of a message pertaining to feelings and attitudes is in the words that are spoken. 38% of a message pertaining to feelings and attitudes is paralinguistic, the way that words are said. And 55% of a message pertaining to feelings and attitudes is in facial expressions and body language. Even if we don't say anything, we're still communicating. We're sending messages to our clients, whether we think we are or not. And they're sending messages to us all the time. And that impacts on the rapport we're trying to build. True. Okay. NLP recognise the importance of rapport building and so investigated ways that seem to work and then codified them into techniques that would work for anyone. According to NLP, there are three elements to rapport. Mutual attention, that's where each person is tuning into the other. Shared positive feeling, mostly conveyed by nonverbal messages. And synchrony, people unconsciously responding to each other's movements and gestures. Um, people generally like people who are like them. And here are some NLP techniques to build rapport. So firstly, commonality. This is a technique of deliberately finding something in common with a person in order to build a sense of camaraderie and trust. This is done through shared interests, dislikes and situations. Then there's mirroring and matching. That's another way of rapport building. Mirroring is the simultaneous copying of the behaviour of another person, as if reflecting their movement back to them in a mirror. Matching can have a built-in time lag. So, for example, if a seated client uncrosses their legs and leans slightly inwards while speaking, you can wait a few seconds and then discreetly adopt the same posture. Crossover matching is when you use more subtle techniques e.g. they tap their hand and you tap your foot. Um, things to mirror and match include body posture, matching the angle of the spine works well and isn't too obvious. Breathing, including the rhythm, how deep or shallow or whether from the chest or the abdomen. Voice tone, for example, the volume, the speed, tonality and speech rhythms, but not the accent. Uh, representational systems, visual, auditory, kinesthetic, which means how you feel. E.g., I can see what you mean. That sounds about right. It really felt as though I was there at the time. 
and of course there's metaphors using the same type as the client so they might be sort of using gardening metaphors or fishing metaphors or sport metaphors etc and uh, let's give you a warning again directly matching gestures can be counterproductive because people just spot it so easily so don't do that emotional mirroring can also be used to create rapport you empathize with someone's emotional state by being on their side it's important to listen for keywords and problems that arise so you can talk about these issues and question them to better your understanding of what they're saying and show your empathy towards them that's um, from e arnold and josh boggs in 2007. It's really interesting. And in the 1990s, Tony Alexander and Michael O'Connor wrote a book called The Platinum Rule, arguing that they should do unto others as they'd like done unto them. And CPHT has used these principles, suggesting that people exhibit open and closed behavioural styles. Open people show thoughts and feelings readily, willingly. Their body language is easy to read. They love chit-chat and are tactile. They prioritise people over tasks, whereas closed people are pretty much the opposite. They make decisions based on facts and figures. The second continuum is whether people are fast or slow. Fast people walk, talk, eat and make decisions quickly. Sometimes they know what they want and assert themselves easily. They are impulsive. They are confident risk takers, but don't mind being wrong. And slow people are the opposite. Using that, you can see what a person's comfort zone is. Fast open people are called influencers. Fast closed people are called achievers. Closed slow people are analyzers. And slow open people includes. It's suggested that when we come across someone who is different to us, whether they are more open or more closed or fast or more slow in their behavior, we tend to react with a subconscious desire for them to be more like us. This may, if we're not actively conscious, result in an energetic pulling on that metaphorical rope, behaving even more in the opposing way. So as we endeavour to get on with most of our clients most of the time, the therapist must adapt their style to be more like the client, to build and to maintain rapport. If the client is an achiever, be directive. If they're an influencer, be persuasive. If they're an includer, be inclusive. And for analysers, be demonstrative. That's interesting. Emily and Lawrence Allison have a great book about rapport called Rapport, the Four Ways to Read People. They explain that their techniques work on terrorists, criminal suspects, teenagers and two-year-olds. And they say the techniques work equally well when used by their teenager on them. They say that rapport can be learnt, and the more you use it, the better you get at it. For them, the cornerstone of rapport is the acronym HEAR, that's H-E-A-R, which stands for honesty, to be objective and direct when communicating your intentions and feelings, empathy, Understand someone based on recognition of their core beliefs and values. Autonomy. Emphasize other people's free will and right to choose whether to cooperate. Reflection. 
identify and repeat back those elements that are significant, meaningful, and tactical to help guide a conversation towards the goal. Everyone likes to be in charge of their own destiny, so giving people choices always works well. Reflection is what some people call active listening. Rather than just repeat back what the person last said, select from it what you want to know more about. It's a conversation where your focus is on what they have said rather than on what you want to say next. The book describes the sonar mnemonic for reflective listening. And sonar stands for S, simple reflections, which is a simple restatement highlighting what you want to know more about and what's significant. The O is on the one hand reflections, summarizing and reflecting back to conflicting views, emotions, or evidence. N is no arguing. Explore the argumentative statement by saying, so what you're saying is X, Bob. Can you tell me more about why? A is affirmations. Seek out positives to build on and ignore negatives. And the R is reframing. Reflect back, including deeper feelings or values. For example, I think X is very important to you. And adding a key question afterwards moves the conversation forward. Interestingly, the book says that people are the best experts on themselves, which is what we do. And they say that suggesting a solution to a person isn't the best way forward. They need to come up with a solution and internalise it. The book goes on to identify four roles that people can play in an interaction, which they call T-Rex, Lion, Monkey and Mouse. And they say how to use different roles effectively to achieve your goals. Perhaps people may be good or bad at using a particular role. For example, good T-Rex is frank, forthright and critical, but bad T-Rex is aggressive and intimidating. A good mouse is humble, patient and pensive, whereas a bad mouse is avoidant, weak and hesitant. Good monkey is cooperative, supportive and encouraging. Bad monkey, on the other hand, is overtly intimate, making others uncomfortable. Good lion is in charge, leads and makes clear decisions. Whereas bad lion is bossy, dogmatic and controlling. The book is absolutely full of examples and suggestions of how to use rapport to achieve your goals and indirectly help your clients to achieve theirs. The book ends by saying, Rapport doesn't just make your life better, it makes the world a better place to live. So, what about building rapport on Zoom? Do these techniques have the same impact? And are there any tips we should know, Cathy? That's a good question, Trevor. Perhaps this may have been a worry for some therapists during lockdown. So here are some tips from Vanessa Van Edwards, an American behavioural investigator. She talks about using a warm opening statement, a greeting that stimulates dopamine and oxytocin. She did research comparing different warm and neutral statements. The friendly statements included, perhaps not our cup of tea, I'm giving you a virtual hug, or here's a virtual fist bump, or just using 
a simple statement as, can you see me okay? And these friendly greetings delivered a 25% higher immersion response than, let's get started, or I like your background. So I think from now on, I'm going to be offering a wave or a virtual handshake. Oh, that's interesting. It is. And she also looked at the virtual backgrounds and pitted various ones uh, from candles in the background, art, windows, plants, and even just the blank wall. And people were more likely to say that a person looked trustworthy and approachable when they were seated with plants in the background. I'm off to the garden centre after this. And the final tip is let people see your hands on Zoom. She notes it's the first thing that people will see when they watch a presentation. Our primitive past exercises its power as we look to see if there's a spear or a stone in your hand at the ready. Interesting. Yeah, I found four hints and tips to help build rapport in Teams or Zoom meetings. They are... Move back a little from the camera so people can see your torso and posture. Have the camera at eye level rather than below your chin or at the side. Ensure your eyes are well lit, preferably with natural light from the front. And, of course, make time for chit-chat before the meeting proper starts. That's some good advice. And I also meant to say that people who trained at CPHT a while ago will probably be more familiar with the categorizing clients as warriors, settlers and nomads. And another acronym I've come across for building rapport is T-E-A-T, which stands for trust, empathy and active listening. In terms of body language, smiling and head nods help affirm that the therapist is listening. Eye contact can be used to coordinate who speaks and shows interest in the client. Leaning forward or tilting your head to one side indicates attention to what is being said. Mirroring, although we've got to be careful with this, indicates that you are attentive to what the other person says. Avoiding any form of distraction, so looking at a clock or fidgeting, indicates that the therapist is not paying attention. And vocal, non-verbal signs like, aha, or mmm, or oh, okay, can encourage clients to continue speaking. So rapport is behind the therapeutic alliance, and the therapeutic alliance has a massive effect on how well clients make progress. It really makes sense to look at different ideas about how to build rapport with people to be more effective as a therapist. And being able to build rapport with people helps with other relationships and makes us happier people. And that's got to be good. So that's about it for this podcast. I hope you found it's giving you some food for thought about rapport, its uses and how to build it. So it's a goodbye from me, Cathy Eland. And it's goodbye from me, Trevor Edwards. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.